0: I got a little saying for you, a little quote that I picked up out of a book more than 20 years ago. And it's always just kind of stayed with me. And it says this. It's by Calvin Miller. He's an author. And he says, I practice what I believe daily. All else is religious talk. Now, just, if that was a glass of wine, just roll it around on your tongue. You know what I mean? Just think about it for a minute. I know you're not old enough yet, Josiah. Just work with me, okay? Um, Just think about it for a minute. How does it strike you? What does it mean to you? Talk to me. So, how does it strike you? What does it mean to you? Anybody? This is your opportunity to talk. Doug? Doug? Yeah, so it's, it's the difference between what your actions are compared to what you say. Right? Good. What else? Anyone else? Actions speak louder than your words. Good. Good. Kate. The way you act is a true reflection of what you believe. Really, that's good. Exactly. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's taking that whole thing about do what I do, not what I say, and turning it around, as he says. Yeah, Larry? Whatever determines what you do is your Lord. Whatever determines what you do is your Lord. Okay, all right, all right. I saw another back here. No, maybe. Last call. Any other observation? or? Ta- or Linda? What's in your heart is, is what you think, and, that's, and, and and that comes out in how you behave. That's, it's really good, yeah. So what I really, really believe is exactly what I'm going to do. And everything else is just things that I say. They're just words. It's just, you know. So hang on to that for a few minutes and open up your Bibles to Genesis 22. I have my Bible. I hope you do too, you know. Um, You know, I know that a lot of us use Bible apps these days, and the only thing I wish about these Bible apps was that they would have a sound effect of the page turning, you know, (laughs) so your pastor could hear it. You know, It's it's a beautiful sound to hear Bibles opened and pages turning, you know. So if any of you are app developers and you can put that in an app, that'd be really beautiful. I'd love that. So some of you can have that done by the end of the sermon. That'd be great. All right. So let's read the passage. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on, on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, you notice with God, you know, he's never really giving Abraham a lot of details. Here we are again, and the story of Abraham is ending the way the story of Abraham began. Go to the place I'm going to show you. At least, you know, this time he gives him a vicinity, you know, like he did before. But this time he goes, just go to the place, and I'm going to tell you when you get there. So, or, you know, not much is, you know, this part of God's relationship with Abraham has not changed in all of these 30-plus years now. Go to the place I'm going to show you. So verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Now, um, the next slide here is going to show you kind of a, a, a gist of where they're at. They were in Beersheba. You see that, the lower part. And they, they, they followed the north. And Moriah is where one day David will build Jerusalem and the temple and the palace. And so here is, and, and you think about that. And there's theological implications that we'll explore in a couple of weeks. But here we are, Isaac being offered up as a sacrifice in the place one day where the true Messiah will be offered up as a sacrifice. This story is full of future thinking and pointing forward. So that's just to give you an idea of traveling north from the, the, the northern part of the Negev Desert up into the mountains of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem will be there. On the third day, verse 4, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the knife, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now let's just pause right there. I don't know about you, but that evokes a great deal of emotion in me. Does it you as well? What kind of emotion does it evoke out of you? Talk to me. Dread? Is that what I heard? Dread? Okay, great. What else? What else? So Grant's saying that the, the trust that Isaac had, like he's just following his dad. Dad says that there's going to be a lamb there, right? So what else? Uncertainty? Is that what you said? Okay, great. Yeah. What else? Say again. Faith. Faith. All right. Good. Anyone else? Yeah. Don't get ahead of me. That's two weeks from now, okay? <laughs> Isaac carrying the wood and the future one day Christ will carry the wood also for sacrifice. Great, great, great observation. There is just, there is so much in that passage that is such a very, um, man, there's just tenderness and, and there's a genuineness about it. And there's, and just the honesty and just the son saying, where are we going? What are we doing? And the father answering with great, great answers about his unswerving faith in God. Verse 9, Then they came to the place of where God, would to- where God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Now, you need to think about this. Most of the time when we, when we envision this, we envision a lad, you know, a, a, a little guy, eight, nine years old. Abraham was probably somewhere between 15 and 18 years old. Isaac, I'm sorry. Abraham Abraham was really, really old. Abraham's about 100 years older than the Isaac. Yeah. Um, Isaac was, was a, you know, he was only maybe 15 to 20 years old. So this is no little boy that he's placing here. He had to have some degree of cooperation from this young man to lay him on an altar. Verse ten. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham!" And he said, "Here I am." And he said, "Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me." Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, and behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As they say to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It goes on, the rest of the passage here, and it confirms the covenant all over again that God had made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. You know, over 35 years ago now, by the point this passage takes place. In verse 18, he continues to say, And in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then it's really interesting. Verse 19, he says, So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. It's just, I'll point out that in a minute. All right? So, it's really one thing to talk about believing in God. To talk about obeying God, to say, you know what, God, anywhere you send me I will go. Anything you ask of me I will do. It's one thing to talk about that. It's another thing to do that. And so here we are, Abraham has been called to do something. And if it was, you know, and you have to say, would Abraham cling to the boy now that he had him? Would he still obey God and offer him up as God instructed? Did Abraham really believe that God would keep his word and fulfill the promise and make the boy into a great nation? You know, you think about it. This is this, who, who Isaac is. Genesis 15, says he says, took, God took him outside, took Abraham outside, and he says, look up to the heavens and count the stars indeed if you can, and so your offspring shall be. And, and he's saying, in that offspring, all these stars, they will be with your son Isaac. Genesis 17. Sarah says of the boy, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. This is the child that has been promised for countless years. This is the child he's been. That he is the fulfillment of God's promise. He is the miracle given in the age when abraham and sarah should not have had children and even god even god i mean i don't know if i can theologically say this but you you look at what god says here and he says take the boy your son your only son the one you love and it's almost like he's accentuating listen to what i'm asking you to do take your son your only son, the one that you love. Take that son. And he's like ratcheting up the pressure of that obedience. And he says, take that one. Well, we know how the story ends, and we know how Abraham responds. But as usual, like I said, even with reading Hebrews 11 from a different translation, We look at the story and we look only at the mountaintops of a story and we take from that and say, this is all there is to know. There are some things that are hidden in the valleys and the nooks and the crevices of the story that I want us to look at and learn from today and maybe apply to our own lives. And so here we are. Abraham begins this test of faith as he did when we first met him. And God says, go to the place I will show you. So immediately, you know, he gets up and he goes. The next morning, verse 3 says, early the next morning. Abraham got up and left. Basically, what Abraham does, and we see this in his life in a number of places, was he prepares with a great deal of intention for obedience. He did all that could be needed to make a sacrifice. In verse 3, he rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took the two young men. He split the wood for the offering. He rose and went to the place which God had told him. There was nothing left that he needed to go and do what God had asked. But what really stands out in this, to me, has always stood out, and I've always marveled at it, is verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship, and we will come back. Is that crazy? Is that just like, what? The, the servants there, they had no idea what has going on in Abraham's personal life with God. But Abraham knows in his mind that he has been called to take that son, the son of promise, and to take him and to sacrifice him. And he says, we will go and worship. He doesn't, I mean, like, he, he doesn't say that we are going to go up and sacrifice. Although, you know, if you, if you understand sacrifice, you all, know, you understand that it is a form of worship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He says, we are going to go worship and we will come back. And it's almost like, you know, Abraham had pulled back the curtain and saw who was behind it. And actually he had, hadn't he? And it wasn't a crazy man who got lost out of Kansas like the Wizard of Oz. He had pulled back the curtain in the context of 30 plus years of relationship with God. He had pulled back the curtain and found a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who said, I've made a promise and I will keep it. And because he'd pulled back that curtain and seen who God was, and because he was looking at a son who is the son of promise, who was told to go and sacrifice him, he goes, there's no other way around this. He'll come back. Because this is the Son of Promise. This is the Son of Promise. And so what was it going to go do? He was going to go sacrifice. And sacrifice in the Old Testament meant to kill something. Blood had to be shed. It meant that you gave up all rights and benefits. If you were going to go sacrifice a calf, you know, the fatted calf as the term goes, you know, you gave up that calf. You weren't going to eat it. You weren't going to get the skin. You weren't going to get any benefit from that calf because it would, you, would, you would slay it and you would burn it. And there was no benefit to you at all from that sacrifice because you had just given it wholly over to God, totally over to Him. So all rights and benefits had been yielded. So here is the form of worship. So instead of you know, worship including microphones and cables and music stands and microphones and pianos and drums and guitars and guitars and guitars and, you know, another piano, you know, and singers and all. This is what he took for the worship service on Mount Moriah, a knife, wood. He went up there and he built an altar. So this form of worship, it involved bringing a knife, building an altar, wood, binding, laying, slaying, burning, done. Done. The object of the sacrifice was the boy. And when he got up that morning with those two young slaves and went to Mount Moriah, he had already given up all the rights and all the benefits of that young man. How else can you account for him getting up early the next morning and preparing splitting the wood, he had already in his mind said, the child is his. I've given up the rights to this child. I've given up the benefits of this child. This is his child, and that is the way he started his mourning. It is that mindset that he started that, that journey to this place. But there's another passage I want us to look to. Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Because here in Romans, God again speaks about sacrifice. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I urge you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Thousands of years before Paul wrote this passage, thousands of years, a young man was laid upon an altar as a sacrifice. And so here we are, all this time later, and now Paul says, You, you lay yourself upon that altar as a sacrifice. And what does that mean to us? Well, this is what it meant to Abraham to lay his son on the altar. It meant that he gave up all rights and benefits to the son for his son to be that sacrifice. So to lay yourself on an altar as a spiritual sacrifice, what do you also and I also have to do to be a fitting and worthy sacrifice? We, too, have to set aside and give up all rights and all benefits to ourselves, to our life. So that we, too, can be that same type of sacrifice that Isaac had been centuries before. The story of Isaac's sacrifice is not unique to Isaac, He's pointing forward to Jesus, but his sacrifice is not only limited to Jesus because we see in it it's instructive to our daily lives as well. And so here's Paul. He says that you have to give up your rights and benefits to your life to be a spiritual sacrifice. Why do we give it up? Because of God's mercy, it says. This is the ultimate act of worship. And, you know, and so I'm just going to be really, 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 really honest with you. What we do here on a Sunday morning is really nice. And it was really great today, and it has been for a while. It was really nice. But what God is looking for is not our words, our songs, but our life to be on that altar sacrificially laid there by us, giving up all rights and benefits that may come with having this life. So when we talk about, oh, I love to worship, well, then we ought to say, really? Can you talk to me about the sacrificial way you live your life? No, I like the songs. Oh, you like to sing. Yeah, so does boy George. I mean, you know, so does Elvis, you know? That doesn't make them worshipers. That makes them singers. Our worship is measured and displayed in our sacrificial living. That's where worship is really measured and displayed. And the emotion that comes with worship, like today's emotion that came with this, it's so often that the emotion that comes with worship is one of like, ugh. Yes, I can do this. Until we've learned that that worship is not painful, but it is joyful. And while this worship is meaningful, that worship is life-changing. Sacrificial living is life-changing. We say we love the Lord. That we want to do all we can to serve Him and worship Him. But this is where Calvin Miller's quote really kicks in. So it's no longer something, you know, it's, it's our turn to struggle with it. I practice what I believe daily and all else's religious talk. Abraham went to bed that night, and I don't know what he was thinking. There's a lot of questions about this. I mean, like, what does Sarah say? Where are you and the boy going? What did he say to her that morning, right? What did the boy say? What did Isaac say as he was actually laid on the altar? Like, like, how is this going to work out? What's going to happen? What was his thoughts and feelings as the knife was raised over him? Because once again, once again, like we said a week or two ago, it's like God didn't rescue the children of Israel in the desert of Egypt with Pharaoh pursuing them until they got to the Red Sea and there was no escape. God didn't stop Abraham from slaying his own son as a sacrifice until Abraham had raised the knife to do so. His timing, again, is so different from ours. So, Abraham, that night went to bed, and if it was me, I'd be going to bed like, so tomorrow morning, let's just apply this, this old quote to it, Tomorrow morning, what I really believe is to obey God and that he has made a promise about this son. Tomorrow morning, I get up and I will sacrifice the son. Otherwise, I'm just a religious talker. Abraham kind of took Calvin Miller's quote and really, really turned it on its head, didn't he? When we talk about sacrificing our lives, what does that include? Well, I was to say, it includes a lot of stuff that we would typically think of. It include, you know, like, well, our money, our homes, our families, our marriage, our friends, our hobbies, our time, our skills, our future goals. You know, if you're single, that you would have a spouse. If you're working, that you would have a career that would make you lots of money. If you are a car hound, that you'd have a certain car, or if, if you... You know, it's your college, it's your ministry, it's your retirement. But the place that it's going to really cost you the most is your will. It's your will. It is that place where you say, I want this. And it's at that place where we sacrifice daily what I want. We talk about to equip, send, and serve here at Crossing. And so when we talk about serving, serving is the epitome of the cross-filled life. That is what we were made for. And as His Spirit enters us, it doesn't doesn't give us spiritual gifts so that we may be promoted in front of the church for our gifts or so that we can make much of them. Our spiritual gifts are given to us for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the church. Some of us do things in the local church that we've never done outside these walls because these spiritual gifts were given in such a way that we serve one another and others. And it is, and it is, it is expressed at its very best, at its most meaningful level when we are sacrificial in it. One of my most Favorite, uh, I'm probably going to get ahead of myself. I I, I will anyway. One of my most favorite, favorite quotes is by David. And in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, a matter of fact, it's really interesting because the place that we're talking about, 1 Chronicles 21, 24, is the the very area where Isaac was sacrificed. 1 Chronicles 21, 24. David is going to, he wants to make a sacrifice. And so David is the king. He's known. And so just a regular guy says, you know what? You can have my threshing floor. Please take it. Take it to make your altar. Take it to make your sacrifice. And what does David say? It is just the most beautiful words. I love it. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Nothing. And he's speaking what became, that area, that place became where the temple would one day be. That place he's speaking about is the place where Isaac was offered up. And he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Because you think about it, it's not a sacrifice unless it costs you. That's inherent in the word sacrifice, that it has to cost you. Now, that was about 10 minutes later in my notes. I have no idea what I'm going to do from here on out, okay? (laughs) Abraham demonstrates, here he has been for 25 years, he waited on a son, and then... Last chapter, chapter 21, he gets the son. So for 25 years, we talked about what happens in 25 years. God's building up faith and character to a place of, of, that, of that promise being fulfilled. And he demonstrates that he fulfills promises in ways that we don't think about. He, he didn't give them a son at, at, their, at their prime reproductive years. He waited until they were barren and dry. He didn't give them the son Two or three years after he promised it, he waited 25 years after he promised it. There's so many things about those 25 years that they were, they were meant with intention. That in these 25 years, I am going to do things in your life as I'm fulfilling that promise. And so we talked about that. That while sometimes it doesn't look like God is doing anything, he's doing an awful lot. And it's by faith that we believe that he's at work, even when we don't see that work happening. And so here we are, now 25 years after the promise, and he gives him the son. And now 15, 18, 20 years later, he takes that son and he says, Now take that son and sacrifice him. I would venture to say that those 25 years were not about the birth of Isaac, it was about the sacrifice. Of Isaac. Those 25 years were building up a faith muscle in, I, in Abraham in such a way that when God asked the unthinkable of him, Abraham responded in an unthinking way. He responded, yes, Lord. He responded, yes, Lord. Tomorrow morning, I'll get up and I'll take care of that. This is what happens when we do this, and I've gone through this little exercise with us before because I do it myself all the time. This is what happens. So, if God asks you to give up $500 of your salary, you go, Well, let me pray about that because it's going to cost me, you know, I'll have to cancel, you know, Verizon or my cell phone or something like that. So, I'm just, you know what? God couldn't be asking me of that. He couldn't be asking me that because think of how out of touch I would be with people if I didn't have my cell phone or if I didn't have cable or whatever it may be. No, I'll pray about it. And then you take it to your small group. Do you think God could be asking me this? And then you call me up and you go, do you think God could be asking me this? And then a year later you're like going, I've decided God didn't ask me that. And your heart has become naughty and hard and crusted over because you waited so long and you hardened your heart off and you rationalized your disobedience to such a place that you're okay with it. And your faith muscle dwindled. You know what's going to happen when Sarah comes out of the hospital? She had not walked now in nearly two months. Those muscles in her legs have withered. And she won't be able to walk by herself for a long time because she hadn't used those muscles. You have a faith muscle. If you've never used it, it will not carry you. For 30-some-odd years... Abraham was having his faith muscle developed so that on one night, God would say, tomorrow morning, get up and do this. And that muscle was so toned, that muscle was so built, it had muscle memory to believe God's word at all costs in such a way that that morning he got up and he just believed and obeyed. He just believed and obeyed. But if you've never obeyed, he'll never ask that of you. He'll never ask you of things that you can't do. He will stretch you. But he'll never ask the impossible of you. And so here we are. Abraham says, we're going to go and worship because worship happens as I sacrifice to you. That is a form of worship. And and today I'm sacrificing the most precious thing in my world. And so I will go up and worship today because I'll be sacrificing something that costs me the most. But not only that, he says, and we will return. What? I mean, it's pretty audacious. It is really audacious to say we're going to go worship. But then to say, and we will return, I mean, that's like, that's like Joe Namus saying the Jets are going to win the Super Bowl when they haven't won anything in forever. That's like the Eagles winning another Super Bowl. I'm just keeping you awake. That's all I'm doing, baby. I'm just keeping you awake. It's just unheard of. But what happens is in Hebrews 11 17 through 19, this is what it says. He says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And then look, because Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Those last words there, they're on my screen down here, your screen up there, those last words there, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Those words, that right there is 30 some odd years of faith being built and shaped and being lived out. He says in those few words, he says, Abraham knew that God had promised this kid was going to give birth to a nation that would bless the entire world. Abraham knew that. And he knew that this God was a promise-keeping God. And so he says, Abraham thought, well... You said it was this kid, and if I kill it, if I kill him, then I imagine you could raise him from the dead and still fulfill your promise. It says by faith, when God tested him, Abraham knew that God would still fulfill his promise. Abraham knew that because he knew God. You know, when we, when you, you hear, when you hear like these winning coaches, matter of fact, you know, the, the, in football, the coach whose name is like the epitome of the coach is Coach Lombardi, Vince Lombardi from the 60s, uh, the Green Bay Packers. And they would and you, anything you read about Coach Lombardi and what he emphasized to his team, it was always the fundamentals, Blocking, tackling. He says, that's it. Just the fundamentals. Just do the fundamentals really, really well. What are the fundamentals of your spiritual life? If, if you know, if you, want to, if you want to kind of move from like the sports analogy thing of like a winning coach and who emphasizes the fundamentals... And you want to move over to a Christian who has the kind of faith to reason that God could raise the dead. Abraham understood the fundamentals. He understood the character of God was portrayed and lived out in the faith that God's character would always be true. The fundamental of our spiritual life is faith. Believing God's word to be true, believing God's character to be always, always, always the same and unfailing. People say, "Well, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to do to like grow in my faith? Be in your word, know His character, and have faith that that character is unswerving." The fundamentals, just the fundamentals. Worship is, is just really all about God's glory. And sacrificial worship, as we're talking about it today, means giving up something, ourselves, really. But ourselves is made up of so many different areas. And, and one of the best areas is this, that will, our wants, our desires. Up against His. Sacrificial worship, is most lived out in our sacrificial living, and so today, what I'd ask you is that, um, Bill, can you go back to my slide of my my slide of Abraham over Isaac, please? This is from the Good News Bible, which was one of my favorite Bibles in college because it had drawings in it. I really like that. <laughs> um, and, and I still have it, and it's all tattered, and the pages are falling out. And this is from that. Um, you can find them online now, so I went and found it. And I've always, always, always loved it. And so when you look at that picture, Abraham was called to lay Isaac on the altar. What has he called you to put on that altar? Ask him even right now, ask him. What has he asked you to lay on that altar? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I sure wouldn't profess to being Abraham or having the faith of Abraham at all. But you are growing my faith, and I am so, so grateful for it. This morning, I pray that you would grow all of our faith and that all of us would seek you in a sacrificial way. All of us would would take each and every time you've given us something to obey and that we would follow through on it and we would obey and find you to be fully satisfying and fully true. And so every little, big, any size thing that you ask us to put on that altar, may we lay there without doubt that Your Word is true and that we will find You to be all-satisfying and obeying You to be joyful. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.